Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast with Benji Nyson and to the recap of Volta Ciclistra Catalunya Stage 3 2021, as well as three Daxa, Ruga de Pan, Coxida, a one-day race that's called... Oh, no, it's not called three Daxa anymore, Benji. They listen to my complaints. <laughs> so it's just a one-day world tour race in the northwest of Belgium. We'll do that second. Before we get to the Catalonia recap, I want to mention our show partner, LaCole. We've got some big things planned for you in conjunction with LaCole for the Spring Classics. I just had a meeting with them before record, before watching Catalonia, arranging some people that have actually won Flanders and Roubaix Benji to uh, come on and give their hot takes. So I guess... We'll see how hot their takes can be when that comes around. Stay tuned for that and those announcements in the next few weeks. Catalonia Stage 3 from Canal Olympic to Catalonia to Volta 2000. It's like pretty much a crescendo in stage profile form, going from sea level up to 2,000 metres gradually. The final climb is 22.5 k's, but the first 10 k's falls flat getting gradually steeper than 11.5 k's at seven and a half percent who do we pick for the stage win yesterday benji both of us you did adam yates um you went ahead and chose the um the more obvious rider that could really do well here knowing that his team is the strongest and that he's a great rider in one week races and this is a one week race so it applies to that I went for a, a bit of an unorthodox approach by choosing the uh, rider with the same last name as the final climb because that is definitely how you decide who will win a stage. And Attila Walter was my pick. Yep. I can tell you already that didn't exactly go as planned. But um, yeah, I guess you'll find out who took a victory after we do our recap, like always. So break went as we thought it would. It got about 10 minutes before there was live coverage. It has Reinhard Jans van Rensburg, Colin Joyce on rally, Alexander Camp. The strongest rider in there for the final climb was clearly Timon Aronsman on DSM. He was very, very strong in breakaways in the world to last year, the young lad, and I believe fan of the uh, the channel, maybe the podcast. So they got like 10 minutes, and it was De Koenig, Jumbo Visma, and Ineos pacing. Luke Rowe, Robert Hersink, uh, Peter Seri, if he's still in the race, I think, for De Koenig quick step. And we'll talk about whether that was a good idea later. Not too much happened. They just kept the break in check. Eight minutes, six minutes, four minutes. Live coverage started. It was about five and a half minutes with 55Ks to go. Then they got to about 25Ks to go, four-minute gap, and then they just started chewing into it. De Koenig brought it under four minutes. Then Ineos, uh, I'm not sure if, yeah, Lucro was pacing before then. Um, but it was Rowan Dennis, Benji. When did you think, do you think Dennis is more useful on that false flat section on a 4%, on like a 6%, like where 
where's the ideal spot for Dennis? I think that is indeed the case. I think that we saw in the Stelvio last year his absolute dominance in climbs with a steady gradient. I think that the best gradients are the, the pretty lower ones between like three to six percent, seven percent perhaps max. I think that is a good gradient for Dennis to just rock steady on to grind his way to the top and just keep mowing that same wattage towards the top of the climb. And I think he can apply this to a section at the start of this Falter 2000 climb. The rest of it is not necessarily the perfect Dennis territory. I also think that Dennis is not a pure climber. So I don't think people should expect, because he was on the Stelvio last year, one of the better climbers, that he's going to do that on every mountain stage. So it's risky for Ineos to to focus on that performance and say, ah, he's going to stay there until half the climb and be able to achieve something by then. So I think that it's ideal to put Dennis in one of your first riders of the train. He set a steady tempo. Steady tempos make it so that riders like Akarapaz and so forth don't necessarily spend too much energy in their wheels. And I think that also kind of shows here because, uh, well, some stuff happened after Dennis uh, went off the front, really. So just a few minutes after Rowan Dennis was pacing on the front, he's Thomas Port. Carapaz, Adam Yates was somewhere milling in the middle of the pack. He's never at the front of the bunch. Mark Soler was dropped with like 10 kilometers to go before they'd even properly hit the real part of the climb or for very long where the group was still really big. Very surprised. Alejandro Valverde attacked with about eight and a half nine kilometers to go very early we saw it in the welter last year when they tried something like that Movistar, thornrig mass maybe it was tour de la provence too on von two they even tried something and i thought it was going to be a bit of a joke mm-hmm. and he get brought back really quickly coos and carapaz marked when they marked benji did you think it was defensive or to gain time do you think they were going to pull? Did you think it was a good idea for them to pull? Mm, I think that Ineos pulling was a good idea. I think that they've got the strongest team here. They can control whenever attacks happen, and they can decide which riders can go or cannot go from that point onwards. I don't think Ineos was thinking too much about the eventual potential stage win. I think they were mainly thinking about setting up a decent pace to keep the tempo high enough so that we don't see random people starting to attack and also to kind of drop some wave from the group that is that is there. And that worked. And afterwards, we basically saw what it led to because the pacing of Ineos controlled the group and when better climbers, so for example, if, if the, the second rider of Ineos is at the front, then we might see an attack of someone else and when those riders start to attack, the outsiders for the stage, for example, a Chicone, for example, then they are going to play in the card that they've got can either decide to use the train or they can use one of their riders that is in the train to counter that attack. And I think that played into it perfectly because Carapaz was one of the first ones to counter people that were starting to attack from the group. Yeah, I think Carapaz, having lost that time in the TT, he had to be a bit of a defensive option today for uh in your sepkus bridging but then not pulling didn't really get it 
if he was still playing a defensive card for Kreuzweig at that point, it makes sense. But his later efforts on the climb don't really suggest that. So Carapaz marking, Koos marking, Valverde's brought back. More moves go. Chacon is trying to get away. Aronsman's just like 40 seconds off the front floating. And then I think Nairaman, vintage attack, dialed it back to 2015. He attacked early on this climb, five to six Ks to go, and joined up with Valverde, who'd attacked again. So you got the duo, Quintana, Valverde, no uh, Mark Soler there or Lander, unfortunately, to make it the uh, Netflix trio of <laughs> doom. But they didn't work too well together when they're on Movistar, and it was pretty much just Quintana pacing. Now, he got brought back gradually by Ineos pacing. Well, actually, no, that's not true. It's what Benji said. Carapaz bridged across with Chicone to mean that Masnada and the other teams had to pace. Uh, Masnada was pulling a lot. Eventually, Adam Yates was like, you know what? It's like Jabel Hafid again. It's time to go. Stepped on it. Rode away from pretty much everyone except Koos, who was marking him. Kreuzweig was flagging. Carapaz was starting to get dropped off the back of the main GC group. Grant Thomas had been sitting in the whole time. And I think he's Benji, I think he saw weakness in Kreuzweig back in the group. And that was why he attacked. And he's like, Koos, what's he got? 48 seconds behind? Perfect for any os. And um, I mean, yeah. You you just run it run it through the next couple of Ks. I got nothing tactical to add. Yeah, it's a bit of a a question that Gus was asking likely at the start there, because when you're in that situation as a Gus, you start to think about either I sit on with Yates, uh either I um I wait to help Kreisweg, but if Kreisweg is not doing too well, then is it worth that I wait? Probably not. So I should stick on for the stage win. So I think a lot of decision-making was going on in the Jumbo DS car at that moment. And I think um, Sam Yates didn't really have to think about anything. He just had to ride. Because if he loses the stage, he gets six bonus seconds. Adam Yates. What, sorry? Adam, Adam Yates. Yates. Wow. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> Simon, Simon wasn't looking good. Yeah. Simon wasn't looking good back in the bunch. But yeah, sorry, yeah. go on. Adam Yates in that front group, he was uh, not necessarily needing to think too much. He just had to pace because, well, if Kaz is in his wheel, and let's say Kaz is in great form and still wins the stage in the end, then it doesn't really matter for Yates because he can get second, he gets the bonus seconds of second, at six seconds, and Kaz is too far in GC to really matter for him. So I think that whatever situation that could unfold from this moment was perfect for anyone else. Winning the stage or not winning the stage it didn't really matter in the end. I think that when it comes to the people in the peloton, they were starting to worry. Almeida, for example, he was in real trouble because he had, well, Masnada paced a little bit for him. I think Masnada did quite a bit of work after I was starting to make the remark that he wasn't going to work for Almeida, perhaps. He um, eventually came to the front after Almeida waved him to the front. So Masnada did a bit of work and that did something. But in the end, Almeida had to do it himself when he came to the last couple of... Uh, kilometers and in that group you've got Thomas in the wheel of Almeida you've got Carapaz in the wheel of Almeida and well yeah they aren't gonna ride so so uh, I think everybody in that group yeah. was starting to uh, get in trouble as well I think Kreisberg didn't hold on for too much longer in that group as well that group was starting to thin out no. 
Valverde, one of the stronger riders of the day with all those attacks, but eventually it didn't really lead to anything for Movistar either. So, meh, I'm, I'm not sure this is uh, what they were hoping for as the team, but at least they give a spectacle in a Spanish race. So I think they're going to be happy about that at Movistar either way. And the team classification is looking uh, a bit average after Soler dropped at the start of the climb. But yeah, when it comes to the duo at the front, I think we were both pretty much sure that Adam Yates was taking the stage at that point. I didn't really have the confidence in Gus. And uh, what's your take on that? Yeah. Well, let's talk about that. So it's, it was that trio, Adam Yates, Sepikus and Valverde. They caught Aronsman. Adam Yates has pretty much been pacing from 5Ks plus to go with just those two sitting on his wheel. Sometimes some surges on the steeper sections. Coos tried to attack him with like three kilometers to go, quite far out from the line, which really, really surprised me. We'll get back to that in a second. Valverde was starting to yo-yo at that point. He's never been fantastic over 2,000 meters, but I think I disagree with Benji. I think today was a great showing from Valverde um, and the best he's looked in a long time. Um, I think criticism of Soler and Mars is the big issue for Movistar, uh, but we'll get to them. Aaron's been caught, Yates churning away, Valverde yo-yoing, and then about two and a half Ks left, Adam Yates, or maybe a little bit less. Uh, Yates just decides to ride away from Sepp Kuss, who pr- properly cracks, and Yates just riding his own tempo from 1,500 metres. Like, I mean, Benji says he picked Volta, but he said his real pick was Adam Yates being the dominant GC rider and Yates was riding away with the leader's jersey and probably the stage win. Esteban Chavez, despite being like 30 seconds plus behind Simon Yates after the ITT, was trying to bridge across. Carthy as well had tried to bridge pretty unsuccessfully. But Esteban Chavez actually got pretty close. He made up a good... 30 seconds or 25 seconds on Adam Yates. Yates is pretty much, this is what he does. He goes, gets a good gap quickly on these climbs early on the steep section with, say, five and a half Ks to go. If there's a steep bit there, which there was here, as I said in the preview, he'll get 15 seconds, stop going full, and then ride his pace, which is still like 6.5 two wasps per kilos plus on this climb, for example. And, yeah, he'll eke out that gap every time Kelderman accelerated in the back, Carthy accelerated in the back, uh, and it disrupted the chase. He ekes out another two, three seconds, and eventually got it out to, you know, 30 seconds plus to that group. Really strong performance from Adam Yates. Took the stage win. Looked never in doubt the second he dropped Coos, despite Chavez coming from the back, but not really getting too close either. Yates first, 10 bonus seconds to 13 seconds ahead of Esteban Chavez. Valverde third on 19 seconds. Geraint Thomas, I think we didn't see it because of the cameras, did his patented surge late after sitting in. Really good result for Geraint Thomas. Like They've got to be very encouraged about that from Ineos. Fourth, leading the like second main group on 31 seconds, same time as Van Hoek. Sepp Koos, like properly cracked and dropped himself like 
he went back to Valverde and then Valverde rode past him after Valverde had been dropped earlier. Coos, 33 back, same time as Carthy. Michael Woods, 8th on 36th, ninth Port and Chicone, same time as him. Um, but Benji, Chavez, I saw him pulling out the earpiece. Do you think it's the right move for him to try and bridge across? Uh, it's a difficult one. Uh, we know that Simon Yates wasn't doing too well in the second group, so they have to cut their losses on that one at some point. Um, the issues here is that I think that I expected Chavez to do more for Simon Yates in the earlier aspect, but perhaps Simon Yates had already said, yeah, this ain't going to happen. If you help me out right now, you're dropping me. So it's a bit difficult to look at that. Um, I think, first of all, it's amazing to see where Chavez is in this ranking. I hope it sticks because last year at the Vuelta, it didn't. And he had this for one or two days and then it completely bottled it afterwards. So I hope he can keep this up. I hope he can uh, stay at this level because it would be an asset to the team, unlike what we expected from him, to say the least. Uh, the thing about Chavez is that in this situation, you've got now a race where on GC after the stage, they are both on that 1 minute 21. Simon Yates and Esteban Chavez. What now? Like, I wouldn't know who to go for with the inconsistency of Chavez versus basically also the inconsistency of Simon Yates. I can't tell you who to go for tomorrow. Yeah. Chavez not pacing now means they're even further away on GC than they would have been if he'd paced on the front for Simon Yates. So bearing in mind that I think Yates can blow some that is hot and cold and tomorrow, you know, who knows how Chavez will back up tomorrow. And the GC now, I'll read that out to you, Adam Yates first, Richie Port second on 45 seconds. Wait, is that right? That's the beauty of the TT, Benji. Yes. The TT, it, like we, we see people dropping. That's the thing. It, it's a psychological, um, not delusion, but the TT, you see a guy, they all come in, they're all looking like they're going fast, but 30 seconds is so much in a one-week race, and to make that up, you need to absolutely destroy people on a climb, and Adam Yates did a climbing record today up to Valta, and still, Port, after having a bad day, lost not that much time, he's still in second, moving up spots on 45 seconds, Almeida's still in third on 50 seconds off Adam Yates, I mean, not great, not ideal, but he's still like a full 30 seconds ahead of Simon Yates and Esteban Chavez and nearly that ahead of Hugh Carthy. So the TT is just so, so important. And that's why I think if you don't have the TT, then I think you need to conserve multiple riders or just, I don't know, keep it close as much as possible. 10, 15 seconds here matter. And Simon Yates didn't get that with Chavez not pulling. Benji, Mark Soler, was it by choice or bad legs that he got dropped at the start of the climb? The thing is, um, I think that when it comes to Marc Soler, it's difficult to answer the question because <laughs> he's so inconsistent that we don't know. And that's the problem. <laughs> I think uh, it must have been by choice. Like, it just feels so weird that at the bottom of the climb he draws because, like, not even, like, a few kilometers in, in my opinion. I think yeah, I know. It was before the pace was serious, and that's where the <laughs> issue lies. 
Yeah. So it's weird. It's it can't be that he dropped there after a flat stage, basically. So I don't believe it. I think he's saving energy for tomorrow. I think they're gonna orchestrate the Movistar team classification takeover, but it's gonna be tough with Ineos being on top of it with like three riders in the top four of GC. So that's gonna be tough. No, 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 no. Not about not about helping teammates, Benji. He wants to get in the break tomorrow to go for the stage win. And then, go for the team classification. Eh, whatever version of David Guru is here will beat him on the final climb anyway. But that that uh no, I had one more point to make. I had a rant that I was bottling up and I neither nearly forgot because my headphones stopped working. Pacing just because you have the leader's jersey doesn't make sense. This stage is designed for Adam Yates and Ineos. Just because Almeida had the leader's jersey didn't mean he was able, more able to win this stage. He was ahead of McNulty by like a fraction of a second. So what? By pacing. And don't, no one accuse me of 2020 hindsight because I tweeted it at the second I saw Jumbo Visma contributing to the pacing. Why pace when your two riders, Almeida, who I, lo- I love, by the way, love Almeida, but he's never won a pro race and Mount Top finished altitude with Adam Yates here. He's, he's losing time, okay? It's, it's, whether it's 10 seconds or 25 seconds, it doesn't matter. He's losing time. And same with Kroosvike, like, and Coos, I don't know why Yumbo Vismo contributing to the chase. I was like, you're just bringing back the break so Adam Yates can get 10 extra bonus seconds. It makes no sense because it makes a difference, Benji, because you've got Rowan Dennis in the last section fresh. If the Koenig and Yumbo Vismo hadn't paced the break at all, Benji, do you think Ineos pace? Do you think they call their bluff? Do you think they use Dennis? What do you think happens? I think they do the exact same thing they did today because they wouldn't really care about the stage. They just do it for the place they can get into and the time they can gain on the others on the final climb. And because for Ineos, it doesn't matter if the stage is for the taking or not. It's better because they get bonus seconds. But next to that, I think the same plan would have worked if the break was still ahead. And perhaps the others wouldn't have been so offensive against Ineos if that was the case. Questions like, would Valverde have attacked this much, for example, if a breakaway was still ahead with like five, six minutes? I'm not sure. Would Ciccone have carried this much if the break was still five, six minutes ahead? Those are the questions. And I don't think Ciccone would have carried as much. I think he would have tried, but not as much as he did today. And I think that counts for a few riders. So... It would have made the last climb differently, but I don't think Ineos would have made it any difference to their strategy. Don't really understand it. I think you've basically allowed Ineos to have a yep. you know a couple of hours off, or just they just chuck Ro up there. They don't need to use more riders, and Ineos are short of domestiques. Instead of having to use Thomas on that false flat section, they have to, they get to use Dennis Castroviejo has not looked as good as he has, so. Yeah, I think Jumbo Visma and De Koenig played right into Ineos' hands there and made it harder for themselves in the next stages. The next stage being 
a nastier, nastier one tomorrow from Ripoll to Portenay, 169 kilometers with one cat one, uh, I think it's 3.7 Ks and 9.1%, but the actual climb at the start is, is longer. Um, it's a bit mean to say it's only 3.7 Ks. Then they go just south of Andorra to La Sodegel and do the Porto del Canto, 25Ks at 4.5%. Staircase climb, though. Not going to say it's fake news, but it's staircasey. Then the Port and a climb up to 1,967 metres, 18.5Ks at 6.7%. If Ineos just feel like controlling tomorrow, then... That's what they'll be able to do on that last climb. I think if you want to try something, I don't know, it's going to be hard, Benji. What's What do you do if you're Jumbo Visma, for example? I don't know. I think uh, attacking is the only option with a deficit like that, and I think that counts for every competitor right now. When I look at the top 10 in GC, we have, yeah, Ineos on one, two, and four. Almeida is still in the top three. I think Almeida's going to have to play defensively or he'll, or he'll get overthrown and get counted on the last climb. So we can't do too much against that. Kelderman, Valverde, Garfi, Yates, Chavez, and Van Hoke. Bike Exchange need to do something with one of their riders early because that's the only way they can try and set something up. And they have two options. The other ones are basically an all-or-nothing attack if they do anything early and yeah they're pretty far in gc now they're like a minute and more down so yeah. i think it's gonna be really tough to push adam yates off his throne here i um i don't know how they could do it and <laughs> <Me either. laughs> yeah like for example enrik mars where did he finish enrik mars because i swear i didn't see him in the top 10 no i don't know where he is valverde is that is is the best Movistar rider on sixth a minute <laughs> and four back, and he looks really good today. Valverde could have been closer on GC if he didn't attack so early. So, yeah, like he was clearly the strongest Movistar rider. Um, and if they'd use Soler on stage one to get him some bonus seconds, he'd be <laughs> even closer. Uh, but yeah, tomorrow it's got to be a break, Benji. Like. Why would Ineos care about a break yep. at all on that? They don't need they don't need any more time. Almeida, like it's done. He's not. He, he's just gonna be worried about third right now. So, yeah, explain to me how a break doesn't win. So it depends on who's in it. You start off with a climb in this stage, which is always great for large breakaways because. This will basically be Ineos moving to the front of the peloton ASAP at the start of the stage and them setting a tempo so they can check who is attacking from the group, call it in or know from beforehand this rider cannot go and then respond whether necessary on the people that can't attack and don't respond to the people that can get away. And I think that's going to be the game that this stage is going to play out on the first climb. Just people allowing to go by Enios or not being allowed to go. And I think the ones not being allowed to go will be the GC-driven people or perhaps a, a great satellite rider for someone. 
I don't think they really need to care too much about satellite riders on uh, on this stage too much. I think that Ineos is strong enough to counter any attack that comes after the satellite rider gets away. So if someone would try and attack towards a satellite rider that is ahead of the peloton in the breakaway for them, then I'm pretty sure Ineos would able, be able to counter that on both the other two climbs. So I think indeed a large breakaway is the is a take at the start of the stage here. Ineos will not be the people that will be pacing down that breakaway. Uh, the only team that could pace down a breakaway, if they're not in it, is Movistar. But I'm pretty sure they're going to be in it. Uh, they have to be. If they're not, then I don't know why Soler dropped so early. I don't know what they're doing as a team. I don't know what they're planning because I don't think a, um, what is it, sixth position in GC now with Valverde is really what they're aiming for here. I think they would have hoped for a tiny bit more. So uh, I think those are the two teams that, could pace in the peloton. Movistar wouldn't be very intelligent, but that would be in their nature. And I don't think that Yumbo or the Koenig should care at all for pacing. I think that Yumbo should try and set something up. Because if they wait to the last climb, they're also not going to make it. But I'm not sure if they are going to make it if they attack early either. So I don't really know how to beat Ineos here. They're on 1, 2, and 4 in GC. Like, let's be honest. They're winning this. Yeah. Break options, hey, uh, no, it's the, it's the wrong Harada. Uh, Imanol Zakarin, Walt Poles, Pernsteiner, Badilati, Reichenbach, Fennel Kanga, maybe, if he gets... Masnada? Is he far enough? Uh, doubt it. I think the Koenig will keep him to help Almeida. They won't send him. I don't think Semitier for Movistar. Kenny Lassonde has to be a big, big shout. I'd love to see a star a Premier Tech get Harold Tahada in their Benji. I don't know where he's been, but yeah, Harold Tahada should really be in the break tomorrow. Thomas Kent and Han van Hocker, he is strong enough to be winning easily from the break, but yep. he's too close on GC now. So he's at a minute 30, but he, I mean, that's the thing. If he was in the break, he's winning, but he's too close. So he can't get in the break, but can't wait. Tomorrow might not be as exciting as today's Catalonia stage three, but that was our Catalonia stage three recap. Adam Yates on top, Ineos in the uh, driver's seat, one, two, and four. Not sure where else it can go from here. On to Tridaxa Brugge de Pan, uh, recap of that race. It's a one-day race. They keep changing the course, changing how many days it is, changing what it's called. It's called the OxyClean, whatever that is. Probably Benji's shell company that he funnels funds through. <laughs> Who is the favourites for the stage, Benji? Uh, and explain what the marshes are. Okay, I'll talk about it. So um, basically, first of all, the parkour. Um, well, let's talk about the race first. OxyClean Classic Brugge de Panne. In the previous years, this was known as the Dridaxi de Panne, uh, Brugge de Panne. And, um, well, uh, some people noted that it was a one-day race. Well, it was called Dridaxi, which means three days in English. So uh, that is not ideal. It had some reason <laughs> that there's a junior race or, or a women's race as well. And then the three races together would be the three days of Brugge de Panne. But yeah, that's not logical still. And in the end, they changed that to a sponsor this time around. Oxyclean Classic Brugge de Panne. 
which is financially a good choice, I'd say, because uh, it's probably much better to just name it after a sponsor your name because it's extra funds that go towards the organization of this, definitely in a period during a COVID period. That's definitely going to matter. But all in all, the sprinters were likely going to be lining up here because this parkour is usually known for having echelons sometimes. And this is because the pathway of the parkour, the route, goes through the uh, the Muren, which are the marshes. And um, this is a very, very open area in West Flanders, the best province in the world. And there's a lot of wind there because it's near the ocean and so forth. This but, is where Benji lives, by the way. Yeah, it's uh, the ideal hiding spot. So um, <laughs> I think that I was hoping that echelons would form. This is also... Why in Gent-Wevelgem early on you often have echelons because it also goes through this period just before they start the hills in, in Gent-Wevelgem. But today it didn't really work out too much when it comes to echelons. The first time they went through it was near uh, the middle of the stage, perhaps something like that. And the peloton split up there for a tiny bit, I think for like not, a, not even a minute, and then was back together again. So wasn't really going anywhere. And then it all came back together and the sprinters teams were controlling the pack again. So, uh, in the end, I think that from that point onwards, knowing that it didn't work the first time around and they tried the first time around, that it would also not really work the second time they go through that with a good 40 kilometers to go. So I was hoping that something would happen, but again, saw some attempts for echelons, but didn't work out. Now, it would come down to a sprint for the favorites. Sam Bennett's here with the Koenig Quickstep. Every race he rides, he is one of the best sprinters at the start, one of the two best sprinters in the world. And he had Merku here as lead out, so he's destined to be all-out favorite here. When it comes to the rest of the riders in this, Jasper Philipsen had a pretty mediocre season so far. Bad one, I must say. Pascal Ackermann for Bora Hansgro, the king of timing sprints. Nizzolo, Timothy Dupont, and so forth. So uh, I think those are the biggest names. I think Gaviria was here, but we haven't seen anything from Gaviria all season, really. So I'm not really naming him too much. Viviani was one of the riders I was perhaps looking for as well, knowing that he's been pretty good at the OAE Tour after having that hard uh, heart injury and heart surgery thingy. But uh, Case Ball was then the last sprinter that I was looking for. And basically, it was all going perfectly for one team, and that's the Koenig Quickstep, because we always know that they go towards the front in a sprint very, very late. So in the last kilometer and a half, last kilometer, they try and move their entire team to the front. This final kilometer had one very important corner. And this is the final corner that leads into the final straight to the line. This corner is in the final kilometer. So that corner, you need to be in that corner first. And before that corner, some other teams were poking their head towards the front. But just before that corner, four people came to the front. The entire Koenig Quickstep team with Merku ahead of Bennett. And I think Van Lederberg ahead of Merku as well as Fad lead out. I don't have a clue who the first rider was in the four-man train. But uh, I um, didn't really think about that too much. Because they went into the corner. The first rider went off the front. Van Lederberg started his sprinting. Then we had Merku in his wheel. For 25 meters to go or something. Pretty early to be honest. I was kind of surprised. Merku starts his lead out. Entire line of sprinters in the peloton. It's, I think, Ackermann and Philipson in the wheels of, of Bennett. I think Philipson was in the wheel of Bennett. And well, no, that, no, no, no. They were half, yeah. half each in the wheel oh, okay like yeah, yeah. so they were fighting the for the wheel but didn't get it yeah <laughs> getting half a draft and, uh, each well, Merku took over Merku took over in that lead out 
And if you know that you have one of the two best sprinters in the world in the position, second wheel, just behind his lead out, then he's in the ideal position. But one thing went a tiny bit wrong, I think. That's the fact that the two sprinters behind Bennett were starting to start their sprint and they were kind of boxing in Bennett at a certain point. And Bennett had to pass Merku in a pretty uncomfortable fashion where Merku had to kind of move to the left without blocking Philipson. And Bennett had to get out of the wheel of Merku without pushing Ackermann in the barrier who was trying to move on his right. So a bit uncomfortable, but nobody really endangered anyone here. Bennett was able to come out just in time out of that sandwich ahead of Ackermann and Philipson. And I don't think we need to put too much words to it. He was the strongest sprinter here and he, he smashed it to the line. Like it wasn't even oh. close at the end. The minute he kicked, it was done. Like he got three, four bike lengths on Ackerman the second he kicked. I I did think for a second he might lose just by virtue of the um what Benji described, him getting pinched. If Ackerman had just got ahead of him a little bit, because Bennett got surprised by Philipson launching early. Philipson tried the same thing in a welter stage, uh, early welter stage last year, and nearly beat him out of a late corner. But yeah, without boxing in Bennett, it was pretty much a formality. He was able to get back in the saddle with 25 metres to go. And I think Benji might have tweeted it or something saying, these other sprinters need to think about something differently because if you're sitting in his wheel with 400 to go and then Merku kicks and Bennett still has two sides of the road to choose from, you're not going to beat him unless you're Caleb Ewan and you get really lucky if you're Caleb Ewan. So, yep. It's he's too good at the moment, and so is the De Koenig lead out winning three darks. Uh, shame there wasn't crosswinds. Um, definitely the, got overshadowed by Catalonia uh, today. Benji, do you think if Cav was in the wheel, he would have st- still won? Now, of course, he would have. Come on, man. <laughs> it's Mark Cavagna. <laughs> oh, I need yeah. Cav to win. People uh, were asking us well. yesterday. Whether where was the emergency pod just because he was wearing a leader's jersey in a 2 1 <laughs> race for the day? I was like, stop. But yeah, to kind of quick step, lead out, and Bennett remains undefeated. Nothing more to say for three ducks of Brugger de Pan, but it's now one ducksa or ein ducksa. Um, that's the extent of my Dutch, and I think Sounds that's a more good German place. than Dutch. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I speak more German than Dutch. We're off topic. See you tomorrow for the Catalonia Stage 4. If you want to catch that on the other YouTube video, if you listen on YouTube or give us a like on those videos, it's much appreciated. Ciao.